Hey guys, it's Miller. Thanks for tuning into this week's podcast. We are taking the month of June. We're going to look at families, family dynamics, sons and daughters, mothers and fathers. Uh, we, on this specific installment, look at Gen Z. Um, we started with the youngest in our midst and the importance for all of us to enlist, uh, to love on, create space for uh, Gen Z and younger millennials. Um, this message is for everybody. It's for young and old. Um, we pull in my dear friend, Brian Barcelona. He has a ministry called One Voice that's been focusing on young adults and teenagers for some time. Incredibly insightful. I think you'll enjoy this. Buckle up. Thanks for tuning in. We love you. They're all coming in for, uh, from a two-week two week, uh, two week break. But yeah, we came from Los Angeles and really felt to come here to, to Dallas. And specifically, uh, my wife and I and, and a lot of our team felt to come here to the upper room. So I've been reaching schools for 12 years, uh, public high schools. And uh, it's looked different this last year, but man, no short of God moving. So we're honored to be here with y'all. So you, you started preaching in high school specifically. Yeah, I started preaching in high schools in 2009. Um, so I went to my first high school. There was three kids. God had told me that he was going to save uh, schools all across across the nation. There's 15 million high school kids. And so I went in. I was fresh out of high school. I went back into my old school. I graduated from, walked past the security guards. I used to flip off. I was now Christian. Um, so I had a you know, different message. But uh, went in, and I began to <laughs> preach. And my first meeting, there was three kids. And I'm like, this is not the nation. There's three kids here. Little did I know that those three kids would grow into thousands, and I mean, we've seen thousands reached uh, since then. Yeah, and if looking out here, a lot of young people, a lot of young um, 20-somethings, and so uh, I, I know when I was born again, right out of college, I didn't know a lot, but I knew that I could impact teenagers. Yeah. Like if there was one demographic I knew, I, I might have something to offer. It was yeah. teenagers. And so as we're entering into this conversation, which we're going to talk about Gen Z and millennials specifically, uh, but how could they connect with you? Could, you? could you mobilize people to reach Gen Z? Isn't that what you're doing? Yeah, 100%. And um, I don't know if there's any millennials here. Millennials. Okay. There's something that we can give that's so valuable, and even even a little bit younger than millennials. I like I feel like you know everyone always talks about like tithing, and I think you should totally tithe to the house and the church you're part of. But very few people talk about tithing your youth. And I gave from 18 years old. I just turned 30. I've given all of those years to God. Wow. And I want to just say one more thing. How many got cell phones? You got cell phones here? Most of you. Any iPhone users? Okay. Any Droid users that need prayer? I was playing. So. Um, <laughs> How many of you know when you text a message, you send a message, and you, you don't really take apart your phone and look at the microchips inside to see how it works? You just kind of open the box, you turn it on, you send a text message, and you trust that it gets where it needs to get. Well, what's wild is a lot of times we, we let what we don't know stop us from using what we do know. You can't let what you don't know stop you from using what you do know. You don't even do that in your natural life. Don't do that with your spiritual life. You have so much to give. You might know, not know the whole Bible, but you know what Jesus set you free from. You know what he saved you from. And so I feel like there's, man, this is such an incredible church that empowers 
uh, young people. And I think that there's, t this, tonight I'm really believing excuses will be eliminated from the room that you can't do something for God. And you'll give them means to connect with you. 100%, okay. yeah. Awesome. Yeah, just, I mean, hit, hit us up on Instagram, TikTok. Um, yeah, I'll give you Tim's young personal cell phone number. Show him uh, the lady that we... Oh, yeah, we could throw this slide up here. This is awesome. Upper in Dallas. Check that out. So this is one of my friends, uh, my friend Manny. He's been in our team for like eight years. And uh, he's one of our main content creators. He's incredible. And he went home to L.A. for a couple weeks. His mom's a caretaker, takes, takes care of elderly. And his mom really had a desire to reach youth and a desire to preach. But obviously she can't. She's not able to make every service because of her job. So he gets his mom on TikTok and she's probably in her late 50s, doesn't speak much English. And in two weeks, she grows to 10,000 followers with videos that are hitting 100,000 views. And why is this profound? Because this eliminates everyone's excuse that you can't do something. I feel this phrase that I shared this morning that I want to share tonight. It's the rules have changed. 2020 changed the rules. It allowed everyone now to have the ability where the modern-day pulpit wasn't just this. It's become this. And this ultimately will lead you to connecting with people. Mm. So. All right, Judges chapter 2, if you have your Bibles. And everyone should have their Bibles because we're in church and we love our Bibles. It's your weapon. It's your sword. Judges chapter 2, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. It's right after the Torah. Thank you very much. So Joshua led them into the promised land. And in Judges chapter 2, verse 6, this is the end of Joshua's life. So Joshua served under Moses. Moses took them out of Egypt across the desert. Moses dies looking at the promised land. And then Moses passes the mantle of shepherding Israel to Joshua. Joshua takes millions of Israelis. I guess they weren't Israelis quite yet. Maybe. Hebrew. Yeshua. Anyways, they go into the promised land. They conquer the promised land. And Joshua's old in verse 6. It says, this is Judges 2.6. When Joshua had dismissed the people, the sons of Israel, went each to his inheritance to possess the land. The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. Say those words with me. All the days of Joshua. And all the days of the elders who survived Joshua. So not just Joshua, but the leaders that were connected to Joshua. Who had seen all the great work of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, he dies at the age of 110. They bury him in his inheritance. Verse 10, it says, all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. This is the second generation under Joshua. All that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. 
So he's talking about three generations. One generation is under Joshua. They saw the feats of Jericho. They saw um, just God do mighty, mighty acts. The leaders under Joshua led the next generation, but then that generation led a generation that was described as not knowing the Lord, nor knowing the works of the Lord. I think that's, I think there's actually a, a, a generational paradigm here. I think we're at it culturally, but I want you to see that this happens within our own families, it happens with individuals, is that there can be someone who knows the Lord and knows the works of the Lord, but then they disciple someone just into the knowledge of the Lord, but they may not know the works of the Lord. And a knowledge of the Lord isn't enough. We need not only to have a knowledge of the Lord, but we need to know and have witnessed and be able to testify the works of the Lord. Meaning we've got to have a personal history with God's works and his power. It's not just enough to have a theology. It's not just enough to know songs and services and scriptures. We have to see the works of the Lord. But a generation that just knows the Lord and doesn't know the works of the Lord will raise up a generation that knows not the Lord nor the works of the Lord. And I believe that we are at that juncture this hour. I can prove it to you statistically that there's a generation arising that does not know the Lord nor know the works of the Lord. And these statistics that I'm about to share with you, they can actually you know, cast a shadow and be like, oh man, we're in trouble or they can awaken our heart in faith to go, no, the harvest is ripe. We are poised for a move of God. And I love what Brian and team are doing. And I love what Upper Room is doing because I believe, I believe there's a sickle that's being sharpened. And there's a number of communities like the Upper Room, but it's unto harvest. And it's going to be harvest for a generation that knows not the Lord nor the works of the Lord. Are y'all alive? Okay, hold on. There's a generation that does not know the works of the Lord nor know the Lord, but I believe he's gonna use you to lead a generation that knows the Lord and knows the works of the Lord. This is really good news. He's so zealous to touch this generation that's rewriting a narrative. They're actually calling evil good and good evil. It's such a twisted and perverse moment right now. Culturally, the world is discipling the church. And it's time for an outpouring of God's spirit for us to uphold the standard of truth, for us to really get a clear glimpse of who Jesus Christ is so that our hearts burn for him, so that we're offering an alternative. Here we go. Gen Z, ready? This is from thegreatopportunity.org, and then I'll let you go, Brian. Uh, listen to this. This is uh, on the, the notes. It says, the bottom line, the next 30 years will represent the largest missions opportunity in the history of America. It's the largest and fastest numerical shift in religious affiliation in the history of this country. Keep going. Even in the most optimistic scenarios, Christian affiliation in the U.S. shrinks dramatically. 
And in our base case, over one million youth, at least nominally in the church today, will choose to leave each year for the next three decades. 35 million youth raised in families that call themselves Christians will say that they are not Christians by 2015. That's pretty sobering. That's just statistics. That's Judges 2. But there is good news. Um, And the good news is this. If we can return the church's retention in evangelism back to Gen X, which is me, we can turn it back to Gen X rates, we will see 16 million more youth begin or continue a life with Jesus. Before you put this next uh, quote up, th- th- this is what that would look like if, if we just hit those percentages in the next 30 years, then, <clears throat> then more people will be saved than during both Great Awakenings the African-American church growth after the Civil War, the Azusa Street Revival, and every Billy Graham conversion combined. It would be a massive, massive outpouring of God's spirit and harvest of souls. Um, The issue, this is another quote that I have. I just want to finish with this. Um, There's not a gradual shift as in Europe. So Europe is post-Christian. But... Their post-Christianity came through secularization. It was a, it was a secular, um, humanistic, man-centered. Um, there's a lot to that, but that's not what's happening here. What's happening here uh, is indifference, not secularization. Um, it's just indifference. It's, it's, it's the... the, the The spiritual pandemic that's here is that people are just becoming unaffiliated with religion. It's just that they don't really care. They're indifferent towards it. And so um, the need is urgent. Uh, the last millennials are now, are now nearly 20s. They're entering into their early 20s. And all data suggests that most people settle on their religious affiliation by 25 with the door closing by 35 though perhaps not ultimately. So a lot of the opportunity for millennials were at the end of that window, but the first wave of Gen Z is now uh, just entering into college. So Gen Z is like, Gen Z is like age five to like 20. Gen Z is the first post-Christian generation. It's the first generation native to technology. Gen Z is the largest demographic on the earth. It's 25% of all population fits into this category, which tells us that in like 10 years, they're not just going to impact culture, they will be culture. Their mindsets, their perspective, their view. And uh, I'm very sobered by that as a pastor. And I want to call us to action. And there's a number of things that we're going to talk about, um, not just for Gen Z, it involves all of us. Uh, This is not just for youth ministry. This is not something that we pass on to uh, the youth ministry, to young people. It's something I think that we all have to be willing and ready to enlist ourselves to. Like Ava, is that her name? Anna. Anna. I love it. She's in her late 50s, man. Hundreds of thousands of views on TikTok. 
I don't think she would have thought she would be enlisted that way, but she's being enlisted that way. Yeah. It's so significant. And so um, we want to have a conversation around that. Uh, I think one of the, 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 the things that we're all longing for, actually, but specifically this generation is family and what family looks like. I know that's something that you've tapped into. It's something that we've talked about. Um, but I, I'd love to push play on your heart. When you hear those statistics, what do you think? You know, I... You get frustrated. I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm like, I want to weep because I'm looking at this room thinking of the potential. And I got one question before we even continue this. What did you get saved unto? Like, why are you here? That verse came to me. What did you come out to see? A man dressed in fine clothing? Really? Like, why are you here in the upper room tonight? To get some spiritual fix? Or have you come here to be propelled out to do something with the faith you claim you have? I got saved as an atheist. My life was jacked, man. I came from an abusive family, a broken home, and I didn't need a dead religion. I got radically saved one night, went home and trashed everything in my room as a 16-year-old. I was jacked up still, but man, I had Christ, so at least I had a chance. And since that day, I made one deal with God. I says, please, don't let me waste my life in a pew. Please. Say that again. Don't let me waste my life in a pew. Why are you here tonight? That's my question to you. Why? Because you know we have no more time. Do you not see the world? Do you not see what's erupting? Darkness increases and it's flat out in your face, yet you do nothing about it? Like this is the moment where we shine the brightest. And I want to share one thing before I kick in this. We're talking about family. I'm going to stand up. We're talking about family. You got me all excited. You can stand on that chair right there. It works. For those of you who are millennials and you feel like, well, I'm young and I don't know, how am I a father, how am I a mother? Do you realize that we have a call? I'm a 30-year-old person, 30-year-old man that has had to mature quickly into a father of this generation. I don't have the luxury of waiting till I'm 50. Well, where's it in the Bible, Brian? Do you not, have you not ever read the book of Matthew? I know most of you skip chapter one, the genealogy. But did you know there's a verse in here that pertains to this room tonight? As it reads, the father of the father of the father, eventually it gets to Matthew 1, verse 11. Josiah became the father of his brothers and his brothers. Do you realize that there was a call on this room that you would become fathers at a young age? What used, to, what used to take you to 50 or 60, you don't have the luxury of that time anymore. And as you grasp that heart, as we talk about family and you understand, look at yourself, well, I'm 25, how am I a father? Father has nothing to do with your age. It has to do with what you carry here. And that's what I believe is being imparted right now. Because a father preaches different to his children. You know there's no rivalry with a father and a son. That's only between brothers. I'm not looking at that guy saying, oh man, how many places is he preaching? I'm like, come on. He's preaching more people than me. Why? Because I'm a father. That's the invitation tonight. I feel like this room's a little bit younger than this morning. 
But that's the invitation. And those of you who are a little bit older, you do not have an excuse out of this room either. If we're breathing the same air, we're a part of the same generation. It's not, well, that's for the young people. No, you're breathing. We are the, still in the same generation. Kick it back over. No, no. You, why did you say Josiah? You mentioned him, but Josiah was young when he became a father. He was young. He was eight. Felt unqualified. <laughs> Felt unqualified. He I feel like, millenn- you know, we, I'm a millennial. I'm a true millennial. Born in 90. Okay? Rugrats, Tamagotchis, Doug, you name it, I did it. I didn't play Pokemon like this. I put it on a fat gray Game Boy. Sega Dreamcast, PlayStation 1. Crash Bandicoot, and I'm going to stop there. I'm looking at people my age, and we're just like. Hold on, let me, let me go back about. to your generation. Atari. No, I'm just playing. That's right, man. We Pac-Man. Have we're forerunners. Do you, I don't even know where I was going. What did you say? I just. I, I, you were talking about something with Pokemon and I, not playing it like this, but I, like oh, this. I'm a, I'm a 90s, right? I'm a, I'm a 90s baby. So when I got saved, I felt like millennials, we were saved in an era of the church that didn't want to call us to give too much for God. So they gave us Guitar Hero in youth group. You drank soda through a sock. They bribed us to come to youth group with pizza. And because we were not taught to give it all for God, you now have a generation that thinks they are God. You have progressive Christianity that is rising up in this country like rapid. And what is progressive Christianity? It's very simple. It's a Christianity with no cost. It's a Christ with no cost. It's a cross with no cost. You have the promise with no price. You can do whatever you want, when you want, and God loves you the way you are. Can I tell you something? God does not love you the way you are. He loved you first. So it went over your head. Let me explain that. God loved you just the way you are, that he would love all the sin that's within you. But guess what? That sin separates you. He doesn't love you the way you are. He loved you first. Meaning in that mess, he chose to love you. But there is change that must happen as a believer. That message is not old school. It's the only one that will set you free. Jesus. Progressive Christianity is rising up in excess because we tolerated it in moderation in my generation. Now is the time more than ever to call people to the real message of the gospel. I think it was what Culiano said this, God will lead you to the cross and then he'll give you one. That is so profound. And this is the hour in which we're in. I roll with a bunch of people in their 20s and 30s. They're missionaries. They've rolled with me in L.A. About 30 missionaries that have rolled with me for years. Many of them, many years. They've given up their normal jobs to raise money as missionaries to this nation. I've been doing missions for 10 years. I did it when I slept in a car and ate loaves of bread. Had nothing. My dad was like, get a real job. I'm like, I got one. I just don't get paid. Like this, but I get paid somewhere else. I was seeing souls saved by the thousands when I was 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. And you may say, I don't have a burden for youth. Pastor Michael has opened up an opportunity where there's going to be an interruption in your life tonight. And you can leave saying that was a cool interruption or you can leave with it being an invitation. Interruptions are always, there's always opportunity for them to be invitations. 
And that's what I feel like is going to happen tonight. I feel like it's going to get crazy in a moment. As you guys are getting awakened, there is, there literally, there is an army in this room. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That could dethrone these demonic ideologies in our culture with simple, basic truth that is coupled and pushed from love. I, I, I love you. What, what, what are you seeing? Like, I, I've played videos of, uh, to the upper room of you guys baptizing uh, teenagers in bathtubs. Um, but just, just give us some testimonies. Give us some ways you're seeing fruit in Gen Z. Yeah, I mean, I, from before COVID, I mean, we've seen, I would, we've seen Bible clubs that grew as large as 600 kids a week. I mean, on, I, high school. on high school camp during lunch. I'd go in and preach and 600 kids would gather. I'd preach every week for years. So for those of you who'd say, well, that's just hype. Hype doesn't last four years in a teenager's life. They're not coming and giving up their lunch. I mean, literally Nike would come to one of the schools that I was in. And they knew every year in order for them to hold their rally that week, they had to get permission from me. And they would say, can you not hold your meeting? Because if you hold it, no one comes to our rally that day. Sure, I'll dismiss my meeting today. Literally. Did you get some kicks? I didn't get nothing. Oh. <laughs> that would have been cool. You, like, like, there was, we had so, like, there was this one story of a, in a public school where this fight broke out. I was in East L.A. Um, I was preaching, I preached in East L.A. for years. And uh, I was in East L.A. and this fight broke out. The security guards are chasing the guys down. Now, every Wednesday, the whole quad in this school was empty because everyone was in the gym. Not exaggerating. We fill up one whole side of the bleachers to capacity and about half of the other with people sitting in the doorway. I'd be preaching like this. And this one time, this, this security guards run in. These two kids get into a fight. They come in and they sit down into the meeting. They're trying to hide from the security guards. But the security guards know what the meeting is. So they leave them. <laughs> At the end, we do an altar call and guess who accepts Christ? These two kids. Guess who gets taken to the office right after the meeting? Those two kids. They didn't have as much forgiveness as Jesus did. But, I mean, from pre-COVID all the way to when Todd White preached in a public high school in East L.A. with 2,000 kids to Nick Vujicic when he came. I mean, we've just seen countless souls that are saved. And then you have COVID that hits and shuts down our whole world. And we say, what do we do? The mission hasn't changed. The method must. We jump digital. We begin to preach this last year wasn't a rest year in that, in that sense that we did nothing and waited for things to open. We got on every platform possible. Yes. I just feel like, 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 I remember I was on my couch and I'm crying and my wife's like, man, get up and do something. Like, lead. I'm like, you're right, you know? And we shifted and we jumped on, on TikTok. We begin to preach the gospel. We begin to baptize kids via Zoom. We begin to, to do some tours back in October when things were still a little bit more shut down. Why? Because you, our alarm clock is our calling. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Like no one's forcing and twisting our hand. No one has to preach a convicting message for us to get up. And that's what I'm believing that's going to happen tonight. I had an encounter with God. I shouldn't be here. My life was jacked. And that's why I know I owe a generation an encounter. Mm. How many of you have had an encounter with God? Raise your hand. Come on, put it high. Higher. You owe one now. You owe an encounter. 
Well, how many of them? As many as you can give. You still got breath in your lungs? Keep going. You know, I, I, this, this evening's taking a totally different yeah, sorry. feel than this morning. No, there's no script. Um, this morning was really about family, um, about creating family, because it's, it's much more a multi-generational uh, gathering. And I, I do believe that, um, that that's what God's building here. But I, I feel his zeal to enlist hearts in this room, that it's not just that we experience the work of God in our lives, but we experience the work of God in others. It's judges. Yes, that it's not just a knowledge of him um, in, in settings like this, but a knowledge of him through your life and through, I mean, I'm looking around the room and just, I know God's story in different people's lives. And I feel that God is really honing in on what are you doing with what I've given you? And, and there's an enlisting of sorts for young people to pour into young people. And so I'm going to go sit down. I just want you to burn. Is that okay? No. Yes, it is okay. I want you to tell them why you do what you do. You have till seven. Oh, Ten. man. I love this man so much. Can I tell you a little bit about Upper Room? I just never know what's going to happen on a Sunday. Father, I pray you'd come tonight. I pray you'd visit this room. Just like you marked me when I was 16 in that back of that room. God, you met me. Do it tonight. I pray evangelists will come from this room. I thank you for the culture of gratitude in the upper room. I feel like the Lord is saying, what greater evangelists than those that are happy? And that's why the, the presence and gratitude has been the base of this room because this is gonna release happy evangelists. Those who actually carry good news. I pray that's what you would release. In Jesus' name. I want to tell just a few stories, if I can, from schools. It's just kind of what I, back when I was preaching in, in Northern California, we seen powerful moves of God. I mean, this one school that I preached at, there, there was these, 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 these two guys, and I forget, forget it, I was in this school. This was a club of about 600 kids a week, and these two guys were outside. How many of you, you know, like in high school, there's like those two guys that if they get saved, you know God's real? That was these guys. So I'm just like, man, if they get saved, everyone's going to know God is real. So I like, they were like my target, you know. So every week I'm inviting them and I'm inviting them. And then this one particular day, I'm like, look, man, I'll make you a deal. You guys come to my meeting and I'll, I'll, I promise you two things. One, I'll feed you. Two, if God doesn't touch you, he don't exist. And I'm like, man, you better come. <laughs> it's about to get real bad if you don't. I'm preaching the gospel in this meeting. There's 600 kids, standing room only. I'm preaching the gospel. At the end of this meeting, I say, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, after every meeting, I would talk to kids. And so kids are lined up, and I'm talking to them. They're getting ready to go back to class. And all of a sudden, I'm bum-rushed in the back by these two guys. And they are hyperventilating, ugly crying. <laughs> I'm just going for it. I'm like, what's wrong with you? you, you are you okay? They're like, everything you said is my life. 
My family is broken. This is broken. This is broken. This is broken. So what do you want to do about it? They said, man, how do I give my life to Jesus? And those kids get saved that day. Okay, we're going to try something really quick. Just hold your golf claps for a moment. When we, sh- hold on, when we share a wild message of faith, can you do me a favor? Could you not give God a, oh, hold on, hold on. How many of you love giving gifts? Anybody love giving gifts? How many of you love receiving gifts? Don't lie, I'm going to be humble. How many of you who give gifts, you love giving gifts because you love the response of the person you give it to? How many of you have ever had a friend that overreacts when you give them a gift? How many of you love to give gifts to those people? They're like, shh, shh. <laughs> You're like, it's socks. You know? And their reaction of gratitude provokes you to want to give them more. What if there was so much gratitude in the room for what God's done? He says, let me give them more. I was in another school, Valley High School, gang-infested school, shootings in the front of the school. Principal was Muslim, but he loved me because I gave him cheese pizza every week. I honored him. One week I'm preaching. Now, this school was a gang-infested school, and the Bloods and the Crips wanted to both attend our meeting. So in churches, we reserve seats for pastors. In high schools, I reserve seats for gang leaders. So blood's on this side, crips on this side. I'm preaching one day and I just get angry at the devil. I was gonna make the devil angry that day. And I said in this gymnasium, I says, what are y'all fighting for? Colors? I said, are you Crayola? (laughs) These are gang leaders. I said, why y'all fighting for streets? Your parents could barely afford their rent. You don't own those streets. What are you fighting for? That rag on your shoulder? And this guy stands up. And I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> and he goes, so what do I got to do, bro? So what do you mean? He goes, well, talk about getting saved. What do I got to do to be saved? To give up that rag, take a different color, color that could wash away your sins. Principal pulls me into his office the next week. Now I don't care how old you get, when you got to go to the principal's office, it is still terrifying. He pulls me in and he goes, I don't know what you're talking about in that gymnasium, but keep doing it. He goes, because we're getting kids that are dropping out of gangs every week. They're coming to our counselor offices. Powerful, powerful. It's another kid in a high school in East LA. His name was Julio. I'll never forget Julio because Julio was the most rudest kid I ever met in my life. When I first went up to Julio, we used to give donuts. Every, every week I'd go to the high school and I'd give donuts. Jesus gave fish and bread. I gave sweet bread. Same concept, different generation. I said, I could multiply it. So I just would go around and, and we'd, we'd cut them in half because we were cheap. So I'd just go around and people get half a donut. So my whole theory was this. I'm going to get to the heart of every kid 
through a glazed donut. So I'd go around to every gang leader, every jock, every person I thought was selling drugs, everyone I thought was on drugs. I mean, I would just go to everybody. We were giving away donuts. And this one time I come up to this kid and I'm like, hey, bro, you want a donut? And he looks at me and uh, he's like, no, I don't want no donut. I said, bro, you, come on, you want a donut? I'm like, what's your name? He goes, F you. And he walks away. I'm like, that's a funny name, man. What, you, you, sure you, don't, you sure you don't want a donut? The next week, guess who comes back? Hey, bro, you want a donut, man? Looks at me, looks at the box, grabs one and walks away. I'm like, you're welcome. The next week, guess who comes back? Hey, bro, you want a donut? Yeah, I'll take one. So what's your name, bro? Goes, Julio. I said, dope, man. Hey, I'm going to be in the gym preaching in a week. Why don't you come, come check it out? Nah, I ain't coming to that. I said, okay, cool. I'll see you next week. <laughs> next week I come, give Julio a donut. A couple weeks goes by. I'm preaching, and I'm doing this message called Love Letter from God, and I gave a kid a letter. Every kid in that gym, 400, 500 kids got a letter of every scripture of what God thinks about him. And so there was this moment where it got quiet, and everyone's reading the letter, and I look, and Julio's sitting in the third row on the bleachers. I mean, we lock eyes, like it's real. I'm like, you're really here. So at the end of the meeting, I go outside, and I'm like, hey, bro, you were in the meeting today. What'd you think? He's like, I wasn't in there. I was like, bro, I literally just seen you, bro. Like, you were in the third row. Nah, it wasn't me. I said, bro, I literally looked you in the eyes. He's like, I wasn't me, bro. He turns around, and the letter's in his back pocket. Hold on. About a week or two later, I'm preaching the gospel. We do an altar call. And we did, like, we did, like, raw altar calls. I got, like, 15 minutes to prove to these kids that God's real. And like, man, you got to accept him. And he's better than anything you've ever encountered. Trust me. And then get back to class. I mean, it's like, it's crazy during lunch. So we do an altar call at the end. And this kid get, runs from the front bleacher all the way to the, black, the, the back bleachers weeping. And it was Julio. And on that day, Julio received Christ in the back of a bleacher. This other girl in a high school, can I tell another story? Call my dude anyways. This other, this other girl in this school, every week there was this girl that I would always go to and I would invite her, her and her friends. She was real vulgar, always cussed all the time, but I knew deep down inside God was, you know, he's, he wanted to dwell in there somewhere, you know. So I was just like, hey, why don't you come to like, you know, we're doing this meeting. Ah, oh, I have Jesus. I don't want Jesus. I said, okay, cool, 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 cool. I'd give her, and I give him food every week. And so one day, I'm walking out of this school, and I hear my name called, Brian. I turn around, it's this girl, she has glasses, and there's tears rolling down her eyes. She has sunglasses on. She goes, look, I know you probably don't want to ever talk to me for how I've treated you. I said, yeah, you've been pretty mean, what's up? <laughs> she goes, man, it's just my family, Brian, it's falling apart. I said, well, can I pray for you? She goes, please. So I pray for this girl in the quad. I said, hey, I'm going to see you this week. She's like, yeah, I'll be there. She comes to club, and when we do altar call that day, we did altar calls almost every week, she accepts Christ, and check this out, she accepts Christ. At the end of it, I go up to her, I'm like, what do you think? She's like, man, Jesus is mother, babe, he's the best, babe, babe. I mean, I'm like, hey, you can't say that no more. Uh, her heart was saved, but her tongue wasn't yet. I mean, it was, but you, I witnessed in these years 
what God could do transforming a life in front of my eyes. And I think why a lot of us lose passion for evangelism and the gospel being preached is we don't witness with our eyes the transformation like we should. But the witnessing with your eyes only comes when you risk. Because the big question I get is, man, what if God doesn't show up? And my response is, what if he does? The guy that brought me to church had no idea that night what was going to happen. He had no idea that night I would get saved. He literally brought me to church because he I went because he's going to buy me a smoothie. He had no idea who I'd become. He had no idea that that little kid would go on to preach in high schools all across the country, to start a missional community, to reach kids. He just had enough faith that even I could know Christ. So we've been talking about this morning, the family. This is what God is doing. He wants to enlarge our family. Yes, the upper room family, but also we got some extended family that may not ever be able to come to the upper room, but they'll be connected to us. And again, my question is, why did you come tonight? Why are you here? I know you might know what you got saved from, but what does Jesus ask you to do now? You know, I, when I see my sister saved in 2019, she came to our house on drugs, drinking, and in a lesbian relationship for two years. It was so crazy. She was supposed to stay for four days, ended up staying for four weeks. And in those four weeks, she gets delivered, saved. And after she gets saved, she's like, what do I do next? I'm like, I'm sending you to YWAM. She's like, what's that? I'm like, they have really good food. <laughs> and all the YWAMers like, depends on what base you go to. Nah, it all sucks. I'm just playing. Um, we sent her to YWAM. And in YWAM, she gets delivered of all of these things. And when they ask my sister from our team, they ask her, what made you turn to God? And she said, I watched my brother's marriage. I watched his life. She goes, I know Brian. I know Brian before all y'all. It's, it's my sister. She's known me when I was young. She goes, I've seen what God has done. I'm going to tell you this. Gen Z doesn't want to just hear your message. They want to see it. I think that's what frustrated millennials do as I say, not as I do. That method doesn't work anymore. It is now a prime opportunity for your yes. I have tithed my 20s. What are you willing to give tonight? I gave the best years. My prime, everyone else was doing all kinds of crazy things in their 20s. I was praying. and I made a lot of mistakes too. Don't get me wrong. I'm not perfect. But man, I was going after God with everything I had. Everyone else was in their early, you know, their 18, 19, 20, driving cars and doing this. And people getting married. And I'm just like praying and fasting and seeking God. And I had such a burden I could not shake. I would literally be at birthday parties just reading my Bible. People were like, have fun. I'm like, man, I am having fun. <laughs> you don't understand. Have you read this? <laughs> have you read this book? I Literally, I'd go to Christian bookstores and buy revival books. Why do I say that? Because there's actually an ingredient to get to a place that Miller's at. There's an ingredient to get to a place like a Billy Graham. There's an ingredient. It's where you live sold out, no more reservations, delete your plan B's. Will you delete your plan B's and go for broke? For what God would have for you. 
And I'm not saying it all looks the same. But I do believe tonight there is a unique call for this church. I feel like just as Michael and Larissa have embraced our family, they have been family to us, they've embraced us. I feel so even unworthy of the, the places they've given us and even to preach here. I mean, it's just, it's an honor. But I feel like that is a picture of them embracing evangelism to this house in a whole nother degree. Joyful, happy evangelists is what is going to be sent from this room. And your story is needed. I think Michael said this in the parking lot after first service. He said, we are the last line of defense for Gen Z. There is a war on the culture and the minds of this generation. Have you not seen it? Can we just be honest? Can we stop pretending things don't exist? There is a war on their identity. They want to remove the first identity ever given to them. They want to say, you're not that. Follow your feelings. We have a gospel of feelings in this generation. Feelings are deceptive. Disney got it wrong. Don't follow your heart. Follow the man who sits on the throne. Why did God bring you here? He brought you here for such a time as this. Why are people flocking to the upper room? Why are people gathering? Why are families moving here from other states? God is doing something in Dallas that is unique. God is doing something with this house that's unique. I look at this room and so many different faces, ages, nationalities, colors. It's beautiful. This room could change history. John Wesley said, give me a hundred men that love God and hate sin and I'll change the world. Could there be a hundred in this room tonight that would enlist and say, I'll love God. I'll hate sin. If I mess up, I'll repent. I'll say I'm sorry a thousand times if I have to. I won't quit. You know what Gen Z needs? It needs leaders that stop quitting. And one minute they're posting and they're excited and the next minute they're just bound and some man if you are struggling that is a real struggle but there is real freedom you don't need to wait till you're perfect to do something for God I remember when I got mentored and I was young this guy said I could show you what you'll look like if you wait till you're perfect to do something for God I'm like really he's like I can show you right now if you want to wait till you're perfect I'll show you what you'll look like I go show me and he goes like this dead. You know, I just got back from visiting my aunt. She's passing away. She has stage four cancer and three organs. She's ready. To, she's in her 80s. She's like, I got a one-way ticket. Let me go. She's, she's crazy. And I look at that generation and I'm like, man, who will take that baton? As Ryan Harbonke, as Billy Graham, as these legends are dying off. Do we have enough integrity, faith, and endurance to stand like those men did? And that's the question tonight. Will we say yes to becoming fathers to our brothers? To saying no excuses. I'll give everything I got. I'll give my life for the gospel. It's going to cost you all everything. It's going to cost you every right you think you had. 
It's going to cost you some of the career paths you thought you should have went on. You know how many good career paths my parents had planned for me? I don't think this is what they thought I would do. When I told my mom I was going to Bible college, I waited until she was half asleep. I'm like, hey, I'm going to Bible college. They thought I was crazy. My father said, get a real job, son. You do this charity work. I'll never forget the day my dad called me. He says, hey, you're a good man. Keep doing your church thing. He's not a Christian. My life has demanded the respect of my family, not because of what I've said, but because of what I've did, what I've done. You know, they said of millennials that we were selfish. They've even said in statistics that it was too late for us. I believe there's a remnant still. I believe there is still yet a millennial missions movement in America. That just like Robert Wilder rode, rode horseback and the student volunteer missions movement called 2,000 Youth to the Nations, could we see another student volunteer missions movement in America? Well, I'm not a student where you're the student of the Bible, you count too. Could we see this room have yeses to God tonight? Could we see this room burdened for souls? This is not for hype or for emotion, but if in this room tonight, you want to re-enlist before you stand, because I'm going to have you stand. How many of y'all know you stand for things that are important? When your food's cold at that restaurant, you stand to go get your food. When you were in high school, there was only two reasons why you stood and ran. Free something or there was a fight. We stand and we move for things that matter. Tonight, I want to honor Michael's word of re-enlisting. And here's what we're going to re-enlist to. You're going to re-enlist to live, to preach, to breathe the good news of Jesus. To not be just content with coming every week and getting an upper room fix of worship. We are spoiled in this house, but can I tell you something? God, the judgment that's going to come for those who are in this church because of the teachers and preachers that we've had in this place. We have no excuse. You have the greatest pastors on the planet. Some of the greatest voices that come and communicate here. The youth of America is not going to be fixed on the shoulders of just youth pastors. This guy's crushing it, doing, Excel's crushing it, doing the greatest job in the world right here. But it's not his job to fix your kids for an hour every week. You parents, that's your job. Fathers, that's your job. Michael said the family is the first line of defense. Your family and this spiritual family. If you want to re-enlist tonight, I want you to stand to your feet. You want to re-enlist to going after God with everything you got to preaching the gospel. And if you don't stand, you're not going to offend me. Trust me. Hey, hey Brian. Brian, can you, uh, can you share with them if, if there's some people, because we're going to pray like carte blanche, but if there's some people that want to connect with you, can you give them ways to yes. do that specifically to be, if it is youth, or maybe we'll roll something out later, but I think this is specifically for you yes. as well and your leadership. 100%. We will give you ways to connect after we pray. If you want, I'll, I'll, I'll be hanging out here. I'm going to ask my team if you guys not go anywhere. 
If you guys will come here after and just get people's information, that could be practical. You're like, man, I want to give everything and become a missionary. We can tell you what that looks like. Maybe you're like, I want to be a missionary back in my school, in my university, in my workplace. But if you stood, here's what we're going to ask God for. We're going to ask him for a burden for souls. There's one story that I want to end with. I used to preach in this school called Laguna Creek High School. And every week I would preach, there'd be 600 kids in this school. But what no one ever seen was every Tuesday night before I would preach, I would drive to the school at about 9 o'clock, and the security guard, his, believe it or not, his last name was Keys, um, he'd, he'd have the keys. He'd open up the gate and would let me in. I would go and lay down in front of the theater, in the back of the theater where I would preach in the dirt, and I would weep for souls. I would cry for kids in that school. I'd see their faces, and I would weep. God, save them. God, save them. None of the dependency was on me. I knew that if God didn't come, I was screwed. Can we pray like that? You know, in the book of Matthew, chapter 9, there's a religious leader. And he's actually the only person in Scripture that Jesus ever followed. If you didn't know that, there was a person Jesus followed. And it says here in Matthew 9, 18, while he was saying these things to them, a synagogue official came and bowed before him and said, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. Verse 19, Jesus got up and began to follow him. What did this man do? He took off his religious title he took the greatest title which he had, which was what? He was a father. And he recognized that his daughter was dead. And the only one that could save her was Jesus. Can we recognize that our generation is dead? Can we recognize that they're dead in sin? But if he would come with an outstretched arm and touch our cities... Don't you want to see it? You can close your eyes all over the room. Can you imagine right now, imagine that girl in her room with the blade to her arm. Come on, can we get graphic? Can we get real? Imagine that kid with a needle up to his arm. Imagine that kid with a gun to his head because his father's locked up. His mother has boyfriend after boyfriend that beats him. Can you put yourself for a moment out of your little world and imagine the pain of this generation? The pills people are dumping in their hand right at this very moment. That person being raped. That little seven-year-old girl getting beat by her dad. Do you ever wonder how Jesus got compassion in Matthew 9? The Bible says he saw people like sheep without a shepherd. As your eyes are closed, may God open your eyes to see. I want to pray for you. And then I want you to begin to pray for your own burden. 
Pastor Michael said this morning, just like the worship team can't take you into their encounter, I can't give you a burden. You can't bum off my burden. You need your own. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray you'd hit this room with compassion. Right now, hit this room with compassion. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to hit this room with compassion, God, for souls, for lives that are lost, for gang members that were just born into a lifestyle they didn't ask for, for those who've never known the goodness of God. We will speak of your works and shout it to the next generation, Lord. Come on, ask the Lord for a burden all over this room. Lift your voice. Come on, lift your voice. This is your moment like I would have in the dirt. This is your dirt moment right now. Give us a burden for souls. For Gen Z, God, let us see it. Those high school halls will be filled with the knowledge of God. We prophesy football fields will be filled with God's presence. Auditoriums. God, I ask you to do what you did in LA. Do it in Dallas. God, I've witnessed with my eyes miracles. I've witnessed you fill gyms in Compton and South Central. Do it in Dallas, God. Do it in Texas. Do it, God. Burden us in this room. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray, therefore, the Lord would send forth laborers into the harvest. God, I pray you would send laborers from the upper room. Send laborers, God. Ekbalo laborers, God, into this nation and the nations. Can I thank you for these statistics? For they're an invitation to one of the greatest moves of God in the history of this nation. 